We are grateful that you're here at Ivy Creek Baptist Church this morning and thankful that you are here in this place to worship with us. And I hope that you already have been uh, greatly blessed by our worship and by our choir leading us into worship and our youth choir. We are grateful for them uh, sharing with us also this morning. I am very thankful and honored that Pastor Craig would allow me to come and stand this morning and to break God's Word open for us and to see what God has to say to us today. Uh, It's been a couple months since Pastor Craig came to me and said, hey, uh, what do you look like um, around the the second week in October on the 9th to be able to preach that Sunday? And so don't know of anything on my calendar. Uh, I should be available. I appreciate the opportunity. Well, those of you that know me very well know I'm a little bit slow. So it took me a few weeks until it began to occur to me that this was the Sunday following our revival. So again, I processed that a little bit more and began to realize Oh, yeah, I get to follow Pastor Larry Wynn after he's preached five amazing sermons in our revival. I get to come and follow him. It was at that time that I went to Pastor Craig's office, poked my head in and said, you got me. Said, you didn't want to follow Pastor Larry. He looked at me like he's looking at me right now from the back corner over there. And he grinned that grin and said, I got all the confidence in the world in you. And then I hear my good buddy Dave from across the hall in his office piping up, better you than me. (laughs) So, my friends, we are here. And if you were with us, as Pastor David's already told you and has shared, and we are so grateful for what we had the opportunity to experience this past week with the great preaching of Pastor Larry, as, as frankly, he is, is one of the best communicators of the gospel in our entire country. And we were so grateful and grateful for the words he spoke into our lives and into the life of our church. So we thank him for that. But I want to tell you, that we also owe him a debt of gratitude for his genuineness, for his humility, and his kindness towards our pastor and our staff as he spent time with us and encouraged us and helped us and offered us advice. But he is a true friend to our pastor. They have become very close, and he has given our pastor a lot of time, and that's important for me and you. Because that is important to the kingdom of God for our pastor to have a pastor. And Brother Larry is one of those men that has come alongside our pastor. And we need to be thankful to God for that today. This morning, I hope you have your Bibles. Take them and turn to 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 9. And we are going to read verses 6 through 15 this morning. And before we read this passage, I want us to talk a little bit about the background of it. And this passage is a follow-up to a challenge that Paul had issued to the church at Corinth in the final chapter of 1 Corinthians, the 16th chapter there. 
Paul had challenged the church to be preparing to take up an offering for the church in Jerusalem and in the area of Judea. This was in the first century church. It was a time when persecution was rampant in the area of Jerusalem for those Jews who had placed their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. As a result of that, they had been persecuted. They had lost many of their possessions, and many of them were living in poverty. And Paul is charging the Corinthian church, just like he had charged the church in Macedonia, the churches there in Berea, Thessalonica, and Philippi, to come alongside the brethren in Judea and to take up a love offering to help to meet their needs in a material way. And as he does that, he shares with us probably the most familiar verse in this entire passage, which is verse 7, when he says, God loves a cheerful giver. And frankly, that is the most prominent process of teaching and preaching this passage is to look at the great joy and the great blessings of being able to give to meet the needs of others and to be used by God to provide for his work but this morning we're going to look at a passage that's embedded in this passage and we're going to see a little bit more of what it has to say and we're going to try to unpack that I, it is my prayer that in the months to come that we'll be able to come back and to look at this passage and to look at the teaching that Paul has here for us on the joys of giving but today I feel extremely impressed that God has a word for us in this passage that's for our church and that's for many of you just today that I believe is important for us to hear. We're going to read verses 6 through 15 of chapter 9 in 2 Corinthians. Follow along in your Bibles as I read. But this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. So let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not begrudgingly or of necessity. For God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that you also have all sufficiency in all things, may have an abundance for every good work. As it is written, he has dispersed abroad. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. Now may he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food supply and multiply the seed you have sown and increase the fruits of your righteousness. While you are enriched in everything for all liberality, which causes thanksgiving toward us to God. For the administration of his service not only supplies the needs of the saints, but also is abounding through many thanksgivings to God. While through the proof of this ministry, they glorify God for the obedience of your confession to the gospel of Christ 
and for your liberal sharing with them and all men, and by their prayer for you, who long for you because of the exceeding grace of God in you, thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Join me as we go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are so incredibly gracious to us with your word. Father, we thank you that your word speaks words of life into our hearts and our spirits. And I pray today that we would receive that. Father, I pray that our hearts would be soft. Father, that our spirits would be attentive to what you would desire for us to know and for us to be reminded of. I pray for your spirit to move with great liberality among us. Father, for the advancement of your kingdom and for the good of your people. In Christ's name, amen. Having grown up on a family farm, as many of you have heard me say in the past, when Paul begins to use agrarian terms and illustrations, it resonates very much with me and with my experiences. And when he talks about sowing and reaping, this is one of the most basic, fundamental truths of agricultural living. Your harvest is dependent on your sowing, but it's ultimately the reward of the harvest that is dependent on God. Because of this truth, we're reminded of what Paul tells the Corinthian church in chapter 3, verse 6, uh, verse 6 in chapter 3. As he tells them in spiritual terms, it is God who makes it grow or gives the increase. Well, that truth that is true in spiritual terms is also true in the agricultural world also. I can remember the first time that this principle really was embedded into my life and my understanding. It was in 1986. It was that summer. I was 12 years old. And there on our family farm, we were in the middle of a great drought. That drought in the North Georgia area lasted. It began in 85 and it lasted all the way through 88 where we had below average rainfall. And in that summer, I can vividly remember as we drove out across our pasture in our old farm truck, I can remember the crunching of the grass underneath the wheels of that truck as we drove across our pasture that should have been lush green there providing hay for the cattle for the winter. But I can remember that it was during that that we continued to sow, we continued to fertilize, we continued to work, even in the middle of the drought when we so greatly needed the water that in our area only God could provide. So what do you and I do when we don't get what we know that we need. What's our response to that? It is my belief that every one of us as we come in to this place today, no matter 
what your background, no matter what your week has been like that you come from, that you come with a need that only God can meet. And here in this passage, Paul challenges the first century church with something that is so contrary to our flesh. And he challenges them to give what they have to meet the need of somebody else so that their need can ultimately be met. So as we come and we examine this verse here in chapter 8, I want us to think of this thought. What need do you have that only God can meet? I want you to listen to this verse once again. We're going to expand it and use a very expanded translation of this verse. Listen to that expanded translation. And God is able, powerful and strong enough to make and cause all grace to abound and overflow to you so that you at all times, having all sufficiency in all things, you may have all abundance, all you need to abound for every good work. Now in the next few minutes, I want us to see how this applies to each of us. And the first thing we're going to look at is this truth that God is able. God is able. What does that mean? Well, we know that there are certain things that God is not able to do. God's not able to lie. God is not able to deny himself. God is not able to sin. But this phrase, God is able, appearing only four or five times in the entire New Testament, depending on the translation that you search, and appearing once in the Old Testament. And I think it's in that usage in the Old Testament that we begin to get a picture of seeing how God is able and desires to work in mine and your life. Some of you will be extremely familiar with this story. You will remember from Daniel chapter 3 how the three Hebrew boys were out on the plains and King Nebuchadnezzar raises up a statue, issues a decree that all will worship this idol. But these three boys, we know them as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They say, no, no, we shall not bow. Their exact words were this, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this manner. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to save us from it, and he will deliver us from your hand, O king. But even if he does not, we want you to know, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. I hope this morning for every one of us that we can be reminded and be refreshed and encouraged 
with the truth and the fact that God is able to work in our greatest need. God is able because there is nothing that is too difficult for Him. You know, you remember the words of Paul, Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20. Pastor Craig's quoted it many times. It's a precious verse to my family. It's the verse that Tracy and I, when we were just engaged, that just became something that was a very central verse to our relationship and ultimately our marriage. These words, to him, to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us. When we cling to the truth that God is able, that he is powerful enough, that he is strong enough to deal with all that we face, we can be reminded of how he has worked in the past. Just like we see in remembering the stories of the three Hebrew children that God protected and saved from the fiery furnace and other stories of Daniel in the lion's den and Daniel, uh, David facing Goliath. Numerous, countless stories throughout Scripture that testify that God is able. We also are reminded of the ways that we can testify and how we have witnessed that God is able. One of my favorite songs that we sing here at Ivy Creek was first a choir specialist, now become a congregational song that we sing, is a song called We Will Remember, written by Tommy Walker. And it goes like this. You're our creator, our life sustainer, deliverer, our comfort, our joy. Throughout the ages, you've been our shelter, our peace in the midst of the storm. With signs and wonders, you've shown your power. With precious blood, you showed us your grace. You've been our helper, our liberator, the giver of life with no end. When we walk through life's darkest valleys, we will look back at all you have done, and we will shout, our God is good, and he is the faithful one. Listen to the last verse. I still remember the day you saved me, the day I heard you call out my name. You said you loved me and would never leave me, and I never been the same. I so wish that I could sing that. I wish that I was like your pastor and I could stand up here and I could belt out those words proclaiming that truth. But whether it's beautifully sung or humbly read, the truth of those words resonate with my heart as I can give testimony of how I remember the works of his hands. You know, we've seen God work in some really amazing ways in our church family. We've seen God over the past year provide and allow us to be debt free by his faithfulness and graciousness and goodness and you being obedient to his call, we've seen that and we give thanks to that. We have seen that for the first time in the history of our church, that we have over 300 people in Sunday school on any given Sunday. 
And we praise God for that. But my friends, when I hear that song sung, that's not what I remember. You know what I remember? For me, I remember 2014. Some of you remember 2014. From January of 2014 to February of 2015, our church found themselves in the crucible of life as we saw 14 precious members of our church pass away during that time. An average of one a month. Also over that 14-month period, we experienced tragedy and untimely deaths of numerous family members and extended family members. To the point where I would be out in the community and I would have people walk up to me and say, we're praying for you and your church. We've heard about all that you have been going through, your loss, your tragedy. We just want you to know we're praying for you. So many of us felt like the spirit of Job had fallen upon us during those days. But let me tell you, that it was in that time that we were stretched, that we were challenged, that we experienced great loss. It was in that fertile soil that our faith grew, that our love for one another and our confidence that God was able that it grew immeasurably. Do you know that in 2014, that that year, this church experienced the greatest single numerical growth in its worship of any year so far? In the middle of so many of us dealing with great hardship, God was faithful, God was gracious, and he showed us that he was able. So that for me is what is called to my remembrance when we sing that beautiful song. I hope that you are reminded and that you can give testimony of how God is able. And God is able because he has made his grace abound to you and I. God's grace is abounding. Paul actually says it this way. God is great and strong enough to make and cause all grace to abound to you. You know in the economy, in the economy of the world, the value of items is based on its scarcity. Many even define economics as the science of the allocation of scarce resources. But my friend, I am grateful that that is not the way God's economy works. Here in verse 8, we are told that God is powerful and capable enough to make His grace abound to all of us. Although His grace is of infinite value in our lives, it is not a scarce resource and it's not in limited supply. I often 
get great encouragement from reading the testimonies of missionaries who have served in distant and foreign lands and their stories of God's provisions in their lives. One such story is that of Darlene Diebler Rose. Darlene was a missionary, her and her husband Russell, in New Guinea. They were serving there during World War II. While they were there, the Japanese landed on the island and took control of it. It was shortly after that that they were all gathered and that they were placed in a camp, also known as a prison. Shortly after that, they were separated and her husband was taken to a work camp. Shortly after that, she was accused of espionage and spying and was taken and put in, put in solitary confinement. But before she went into solitary confinement, the camp commander, she had gained a great rapport with him. And he came to tell her one day, called her to his office to tell her that her husband had died. She looked him in the eye and she said, I don't blame you. I love you because God loves you. And he sent his son to be your savior. She shared the entire plan of salvation with him. He ended up running out of his office crying. And from that day, she had gained favor with him. But ultimately, one of the other commanders came, accused her of spying. She was sent away and no longer was in the care of this commander. She ended up getting very sick at the point of starvation. And one day she looked through the slats of her little cage and she saw the other women and they had bananas that they were passing around. And in her starvation she began to pray, Oh God, if I could just have one banana. If I could just have one banana to quench my hunger. Well, what she didn't know was that camp commander who she had gained favor with was at the camp that day. And you know, God abounding in his grace towards us didn't send one banana. He ended up sending 92 bananas. And when she had finished the last one, the day that it ran out, she ended up being released from her captivity. God's grace abounds to us in the most dire situation. And you and I are equipped for every good work because God is able to make His grace abound in our lives. Or to say it this way, in all things and at all times, you have all you need to more than accomplish every good work. You and I must understand that God will not force His abounding grace on us. 
We must actively participate in sowing to reap the harvest that God has for you and I. No farmer has ever reaped a harvest by sitting on his front porch. You must be actively participating to reap the harvest that God has for you. I am confident. I tell you with great certainty and great confidence that our God is able, is exceedingly, abundantly able to meet your greatest need. God's able to meet and handle whatever financial situation you face. He says, trust me. Trust me with what you have and I will give you what you need. He is able to meet and to heal whatever sickness and whatever hurt that you have. He is a God that is able. We have those sitting in this place this morning that can give testimony to God's ability to do that. And we praise God for that. God's able to give you strength to keep you going when it seems like you cannot put one foot in front of the other. But above all that, above all that within this earthly realm, God is able to save the most lost among us. This morning, it may be you. You may be the most lost among us, and God is able to save you. The power of His grace is more than enough. But also, just as this past week, Pastor Larry asked us for those three names to be written down, in our notes or on the fly of our Bible for three names that God burdened their heart with to be praying and sharing the gospel with. Let me tell you, based on the truth of God's word, that God is able to save the most lost among us and those that our hearts break for for them to come to faith in Christ. But understand that God demands that we realize that He has prepared these great works for us to participate in, to be an active part in those. He's given us the privilege, the privilege of accessing His throne of grace and mercy to lift up our hurts, our pains, our stress and our struggles that He can and desires to meet. God has given us His Word to be an encouragement over and over and to remind us that there is no situation that He has abandoned us or has forsaken us in. You know, Paul's words, 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians chapter 4 tells us although it seems not at the time but the momentary afflictions of this world that at the time 
seem so great when compared to the vastness of eternity and to the weight of glory pale in comparison to what our God has for us as believers and understand that God uniquely has gifted and qualified you to be his ambassador to share the truth that he is able and that he is able to forgive sin and to give eternal life to all and we are entrusted with sharing that message we are equipped to do that good work this morning as we come to a close I call your attention to our sermon in a sentence because God is able to cause his grace to abound we are sure to have all we need to overflow and abound in doing the work God has given us I pray this morning I pray that each person in this place that you really grab hold of that truth that you really believe and trust that God is able just like I was as a 12 year old boy in the middle of a great drought I learned that just because the rains don't come and just because you think you don't get what you need you still you get up every day you continue to press on and you do not quit and my friends the spiritual truth in that is that we can do that with great confidence no matter what we face because of the truth that there is one that is much greater than us that goes before us and his ability is limitless that his grace is boundless that is prepared us specifically for the good work that's before us and our responsibility is to continue on no matter how challenging no matter how difficult no matter what the odds because we can declare to anyone in any situation that our God by the truth of his word has testified and by our experience we have experienced that our God is able join me as we pray